Welcome to another episode of Cloud and Culture. I am Derek Harris from VMware. And I'm Danielle Burrow from VMware. If you're new, this podcast focuses on the process of application and IT modernization through the lens of Tanzu Labs, previously called Pivotal Labs. Tanzu Labs experts have helped hundreds of companies and organizations, big and small, build better software and adopt modern development practices. We're mixing it up a bit this episode and have special guest hosts Saad Ahmed and Joe Moore, who spoke with Shopify VP of Engineering Farhan Thawar. They cover a range of topics related to managing development teams, including the evolution of remote work, the process of innovation inside a company like Shopify, and the evolution of Tanzu Labs from its roots as Pivotal Labs. Farhan joined Pivotal Labs via its acquisition of Extreme Labs and was with Pivotal Labs until 2015. And just so you know who's who when you're listening, Saad kicks off the discussion and Joe makes his first appearance a few minutes in. Farhan does most of the talking and shares lots of great insights, so stick around. Hey, Farhan, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I want I want to get started by asking a, a really off the wall, off the cuff, fun question, right? Yeah. So the, the Navy has just admitted that UFOs are real and they encounter them almost daily. What do you, what do you make of this as a technologist and, and, and a VP of engineer? Where's your head at? So I haven't spent a lot of time on this, like on this topic, but I have heard things about this that, you know, hey, maybe there are things we don't understand. I mean, if you, if you take it back to that, you know, that framing, right? Are there things that we don't understand? Then I say yes. <laughs> so I, I'm not super surprised. Maybe it's surprising that a lot of people have refuted Right, UFOs. I think wasn't there wasn't there like an Elon Musk podcast where he was like, if there were UFOs, I would ha- I would know about it. Just talking to the various people, and and he didn't seem to have any info. So mm. it's surprising that this is now a thing. Yeah, he has all the insider info on Doge development, but yes, nothing on exactly. UFOs. <laughs> so it's surprising, but then there's a what is the the, par- the Fermi paradox, right? Like it must it must exist. Right, right, right. So it's maybe not super surprising, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's, it's exciting and also terrifying. Kind of, kind of terrifying, depending on how you want to look at it. If you want to beat the war drums, good luck with that. Yeah. So you know, we, we met on Twitter. I, I followed you, and your your comments and your your engagement metrics are pretty high. And I think the very first thread that that I, I replied was, "Be less helpful" when you talked about advice to new managers and new parents. Yes. So get, getting into the thick of you know managing a team or running uh, Shopify engineering. What does that mean? Because I've I've looked through your tweet history and you've always had, you know, some response, but not a full-fledged thesis on what being less helpful means for new managers and new parents. So I'd love for you to talk about that and how you see that at Shopify. Yeah. So I think that what you want to do in general, right, it's not just Shopify thing, but a general life thing is that you want to teach people to, you know, the, the one, the idiom is like, teach people to fish. Right. And so... This happens to me a lot where someone will do something and I'm like, oh, how did you do that thing? Like, how do you know where to go to find the answer? Or how do you know what, like what to search for? And I think that in general, like the, that's why I'm a big fan of pair programming because pair programming shows you how people like do the thing that that they're doing versus just like telling you the answer. So I'm a big fan of like how people go through their workflow. And what I've noticed in when people come become new managers or new parents is they try to do everything. And then you're not letting the person, the kid or the new person like actually learn how they want to do that thing. 
And, you know, you just, you think that the job is to treat the person as like a fragile, you know, like baby. And they're not, they're human, they're smart, they've, you know, got to where they are in their career for a reason. And I want to just enable, give them the, like the, the, the breadcrumbs to get there. Like a good way to think about it is like a video game, right? That everybody knows like the first few frames of like Mario and it like teaches you how to jump and to get the mushroom. And and then guess what? You use those skills in order to like not get killed later. And so that's what I want like people to take away is like, how do you, how do you enable the person to learn? And so I remember this actually when I, my, I think it was my cousin was born like many, many years ago. I must've been like 10 or 12 or something. And I remember my cousin was like crawling and about to hit his head on the coffee table. And I went to stop him. And my grandmother said, no, 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 let him walk into the, let him hit his head in the table because then he'll know not to hit his head into the table again. And so that's maybe the same lesson like over and over. Okay. So then how does that apply when you guys shifted to fully remote practice, right? Last year. And what, what are the things that you saw that were bumps in the road and then when did you create this pairing bot? Yeah. So, I mean, we're not in remote mode, right? We're still in pandemic mode. Oh, in so, Canada. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, no. Yeah. And so, I mean, actually, I would say worldwide. Not, not, okay. not, every, every, not everything is like totally opened up. And we're a worldwide company. And so if not everything's like opened up pandemic wise, you know, the US just announced last week, don't have to wear a mask. I, I do feel that we're still in a pandemic mode. So we're all trying to learn to work in a remote world in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that will change once once things totally open up where you're like, okay, I'm working remotely, but I can go to the restaurant, I can go for to the gym, I can do that, I can travel, I can work from anywhere. Like all those things, I think, change the perspective on remote work. But right now in pandemic mode, you're really just trying to figure things out. And for us, that meant figuring out how to collaborate while we're remote. It meant how do we forge new connections? How do we think about hiring? How do we think about pair programming? How do we think about team building? How are we still getting like social time and getting to know people? Like there's all these things that you that you really do want to learn how to do in, let's call it pandemic remote. And then hopefully when remote remote comes around, you're, you've actually got all these other things that you can now do to enable that, right? Like I, you know, I used to work in a remote team where if something went wrong, I could just fly and talk to the person in person, right, to resolve these things. And that's like much, much harder now with quarantining rules and the pandemic and being able to, you know, being able to interact with people in person. So you have to come up with different ways. I still do, you know, like we used to do masked walks with people who were in my city, but that's not the same as being able to get together with a team for team building activity. Right, that makes sense. Joe, do you want to ask about rituals and practices? Yeah, sure. And, and it, it, I actually love to, to to kind of piggyback on something you just said there, uh, Farhan. I guess I'm kind of curious with, you know, you, we talked about pandemic remote versus uh, new normal remote or whatever you want to call it. I'm curious, have you all found that, that people are, are fleeing the major cities for the remote location, since the remote is our favorite word? Uh, and or were, Or did you already kind of have that were people already spread out quite widely and and there was less of a, a flight to the you know to the mountains and the the lakes and such yeah so i think it's a good point so we have a few different things going on one is so let's talk about shopify specifically shopify has uh, or had office locations so we had this idea of centers of gravity and their centers of gravity are set up so that product 
UX engineering leadership for those products were centered around those offices. So for example, the Toronto office for Shopify had specific products that we were championing and the people who were working on them mostly, because we still had wings with this idea of centers of gravity and wings, centers of gravity were where the majority of the people were. And then wing offices could be um, helping with the R&D of those products. And so we had centers of gravity in Ottawa, Montreal, Waterloo, San Francisco, Toronto, like offices around the world, Sweden. And that that notion only relaxed itself once we decided to go fully remote because we're having a center of gravity. And if you were in Toronto working on something in Ottawa, you knew like it was it was nicely defined in that you were you knew you were in a wing office. But it was also like that's part of it is like naming it. Hey, you're in a wing. So that's what this means. And then you're in the center of gravity. That's what this means. That was actually a big part of the battle. And then now we went to remote, we started relaxing things. So we said right at the beginning, okay, if you want to move anywhere within your state or province, that's probably fine because it doesn't really change anything tax wise or legal wise for you. And we started relaxing it even more. Okay. If you wanted to move across the country, it probably is okay. Now we you know, started thinking about, well, maybe if you stay within the same time zone or within the same time zone. So like North America is a one time zone for us. Europe is one time zone for us. APAC is one time zone for us. So that it tends to continue to escalate in terms of like where you could go. We have this program called Destination 90, where we make it like super friction frictionless to live somewhere else for 90 days and while continuing to do your work for the same team and the same group in Shopify. So That's super it's cool. slowly like, what was that? That's super cool. Yeah, it's like a good idea. And I talked to somebody today who was like, I said, hey, are you taking advantage of the ability to work from anywhere? He said, yeah, I'm going to do like I'm signing up for Destination 90 and me and my wife are going to go live over here. So there, there's a lot of ways in which we can um, relax those things. And then in terms of what you mentioned, where people just move anywhere, I'm starting to see it. So I had someone on my team move from the US to Canada, you know, it was always a, a dream for them and nothing to do with, you know, Shopify being in Canada it was just actually they always wanted to move to Canada. So the three of them, you know, the parents and the kid moved to move to Canada because this allowed them to kind of work from wherever. We have someone on our team who's in data, a data scientist who was profiled in a, a few newspapers because he lives in like a van and like RVs around and has internet. Van life. And Van life. Yeah, exactly. Van life, vagabond life and does it for the winter. Uh, sorry, for the summer. And then in winter lives in like the same spot. So I think there's lots of opportunity to um, really design your life. And then I think the other thing that, you know, maybe is worth mentioning is that people have this different notion of what the work, like the work-life balance means to them. So for me, I actually really like the like pivotal lab style, like nine to six, be intense and then stop. And then others want to be like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym during the day. I want to go for a bike ride. I want to go for a run. And then they work at different hours to work around a kid's schedule. That can also work. I think just people have to figure out what works for them. Yeah, we're, we're finding a lot of those those same things. And I, you know, our company is also you know, rolling out you know, new you know, quote unquote future of work you mm -hmm. know, policies and things like that and embracing more of a you know, remote friendly paradigm as well. But like Asad, you had, you had mentioned, you know, you know, like rituals and, and practices and principles and such and, and how those are all sort of related. Did you see if you were sort of uh, were office based for, for a long time or focused, office focused anyway, with the centers of gravities and the wings and presumably teams, you know, operated in a particular way and had certain cadences through their days and weeks and months and such. Did you, did you see those or change or did you, I guess I'm curious what things you have seen get adapted to a new way of doing those things, uh, whatever they are, those, those, those rituals or, or practices remotely. And then which ones might've disappeared completely because they were suddenly ir irrelevant or redundant in some way. So 
I mean, I'd like to hear what you guys have uh, like thought about in this area too. I think that there's there's still there's still a lot to learn. Like one of the things that we always talk about is that like in going remote and thinking about practices and moving from definitely like an office centric culture where we had like the center of gravity notion to moving fully away from having office centricity and just calling it like, hey, off- we actually said in our tweet, right? Office centricity is over. We're now going like internet everywhere. I think the way to think about that is that there are things that worked in the office culture that you want to mimic now in remote world, like forging new connections or going for lunch with somebody on their first day. And there are things that are going to be better, I think. And there are things that are going to be worse. And so I think we have to adjust for those. So one example is when you're in a meeting and you have a meeting of, let's say, 10 people and they're all in their own tiles, that could actually be better than being in a, in a, in a room with the same 10 people, given maybe, you know, introversion versus extroversion might change depending on being in person with somebody, or some people maybe feel more comfortable contributing, you know, in a different way. You know, the cool thing about having these things is like you have a side chat. So maybe somebody wants to like side message their contribution versus actually saying it out loud. So I think that there, there are some things that are better. There are some things that are clearly worse. It's never, it's not exactly the same to be over the tiles as it is to be in person. It's, you know, you can't tell how tall somebody is. I don't know if that's good or bad. All right. For me, who's short, it's good. So I think that it, it depends. And I do think that it's going to be a huge, uh, huge wave of innovation happening in remote work now because one, because of the pandemic, but two, because of this move to people thinking that they want to move their business in this direction because of all the advantages it gives them. And there are advantages now. Like, for example, I actually had this happen this week where I had a few people move, like one across the country and one moved to Brazil from Canada. And it's like a no no brainer. We're just like, yeah, you can you should totally move, and we help them figure all the legals and the contracting to you know get set up in Brazil, uh, and then still work for the same team, you know, a very in a very similar time zone. So I think that there are so many things that it enables, and then of course there's the trade offs, right? We can't get together for lunch. We maybe have to spend more time on trust building and getting to know people. We have to figure out ways to introduce new folks to the team. There's many more check-ins. I'm more time on a screen, right? So there's a bunch of these things that you have to figure out the trade-offs. And we're all going to get smarter over time. And I think that the, like every company is going to approach it in a different way. I think like Google announced they're going to go like 33 days a week in office and two days a week remote. When I worked at Microsoft, I did four days a week in the office and one day from home. Like every Friday, I worked from home. But I think that there's there's all these models. And... I don't think we figured out, and I don't think there will be just one model for everybody. I think every company will figure it out for themselves. And some companies have said, I can't wait to go back into the office. Right? I think Reed Hastings said, I'm not setting up a home office. I can't wait to go back in, right? Everybody's different. Goldman as well. Eager Goldman to bring Sachs? everyone back. Yeah, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Yep. You talked about the trade-offs. I had a question, Joe, if I can follow up on that. So you talked about the trade-offs and building trust and especially for new team members, because obviously if you were there pre-pandemic at Shopify, you have that built-in trust, you have that brand, and then you kind of take it with you to Brazil, take it with you to wherever. Do you have any meaningful metrics on onboarding experience for new hires and then that brand building experience for new hires? And are you tracking that, if at all? Yeah. So I think there's a few things to remember. Like just by being in person doesn't automatically get you trust, right? So it's not it's not automatic. There's still like things you have to do and you still have to be in front of people and you still, you know, you, you, you have multiple social interactions. You probably have interactions where they can see trust being built up. We actually have this metaphor called the trust battery, where when you start with somebody, you typically have 50%, like you start in the middle. And then over time, based on interactions, trust battery goes up or down, depending on you're like, okay, I, I can start 
and this is inherent, right? You don't like, you don't have an actual battery, but you're like, okay, I start feeling more trusted towards this person or less trusted depending on how those interactions go. And it's a good metaphor to think about because when you're remote, you still want, you still have that. You still want to think about the interactions you have, whether they're over Slack, whether they're over uh, video chat, whether they're over email in order to see if somebody's trust is going up or down. So I think that's not a, a plus or a plus or minus for remote or in person, but it's just a, a thing to make sure you think about. And those interactions aren't always just pure business, right? That's that's part of the learning is that when you meet, met with folks, you were you were talking about what you did on the weekend and the family life and extracurriculars and maybe you go for like a meal. Like there's there's all these things that are happening in addition to just the business stuff. And so you have to figure out. How do you how do you have that same sort of interaction with somebody who's not necessarily um, going to be in, in front of you, maybe ever, right? If you go remote, so I think that's interesting. I think on the you talked about onboarding specifically, we've got a very sophisticated onboarding team where you can look at metrics. Now, metrics are just informing you of something. You can't look at metrics as, hey, I want to run my, run my company by spreadsheet. So, like w- one example is in our metrics around onboarding for engineers. We, we do look at, as an interesting metric, number of days to first PR, right? Now, that's not something where we just go optimize this number. And if there was like an AI, it would just do the things to get the number down to be like zero. Like they should just write a PR on the first day, right? That's not the goal. But the goal is to make changes and see, does this metric move? And if so, is it moving in a direction that we think is uh, a positive or negative? So one would say, for example that having the first PR be earlier in the tenure could be better. But I can see how it can also be worse because you could always just have people create like a, you know, really trivial PR versus like a significant PR. So I think that there, but it's something to look at. And we do look at that when we did, when we revamped our onboarding program, we did think of it as a positive thing. And I think, I can't remember the exact numbers, something like we went from 60 days to 50 days or something, depending on the extra work we put in into the onboarding program. But another example would be, you know, we hire lots and lots of folks who don't know Ruby on Rails. And that's one of our, you know, that's our platform we build on top of. If I put someone in a Ruby on Rails who doesn't have that background and I put them in a, in a one month course and now their first PR is like in the 80th day, right? Is that good or bad? Right? Well, I would say it's probably good because actually we've now taught them Ruby on Rails. Like maybe they don't even, it's not even inside a Shopify course. Then they come to Shopify, learn how we use, how we use Ruby on Rails. And then they come in their first PR, but they've got that much more context and they've got the onboarding knowledge, and they've learned how Ruby on Rails works outside of Shopify and inside of Shopify. They've got better trust with the team. That's a way in which the metric could be, you know, could look worse, but is actually better. And so we do look at these things, but we try to bring them in context. So actually, the words we use is there's a there's a line I think people say that they're like data driven decisions. We always say data informed, right? And the thing that you'll learn too is the more data you look at, the more you realize that it's nuanced. And you have to you can't just rely on just the data. Right. If there if there is a system, it will be gamed. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, you know, something that, that sprung to mind when we were talking about onboarding just now was you know how much extra care and feeding you have to do for for folks when they're being onboarding during the middle of a pandemic or fully remote. And when the pandemic hit, we had a hiccup in our like swag supply chain. Okay. So things like hoodies and mugs and pens and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I was on a uh, a new hire onboarding kind of happy hour thing. And mm-hmm. I joined and I was wearing what I'm wearing right now, which is my, you know, my hoodie, uh, my company hoodie. And several people were, you know, vocally so jealous 
and envious and disappointed that they didn't have a hoodie yet. And I had, you know, I'm, you know, I got invited as as a guest to this happy hour. So it wasn't top of mind for me, but it really drove home how, you know, just, you know, sending a care package to somebody, especially when they're new and their, and their trust battery is in the middle or even low can help give them that boost that, that they need. So, yeah, I think we, 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 we made sure to, you know, make sure that we sourced you know, hoodies quicker and better and found it. I think we found a different supplier or something like that, just so we could get people those little indications of, Hey, we're here for you. No, it makes a big difference. I think swag is a great example because one of the things we used to do is like lots of like laptop stickers, which we still do. But as it turns out in remote world, you never see anybody's laptop, right? You're just seeing like webcams. You don't see the back of their laptop. And so, you know, like a t-shirt or a hoodie may matter more because that's something that they can use to show their, show their brand, show the the brand at least versus like a, a laptop sticker. And I think the other thing to realize too, is that like getting high quality swag, right? Sizes, like all that stuff matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you kind of established the point that there's a trust battery, not just the employee to or the employer to the employee, but the other way around, right? Especially for if you're fully onboarded and hired in, in a completely remote environment, you know, in the pandemic, it's, it makes it that much easier to leave because the opportunities are boundless for any engineer, right? I, I had someone who joined a friend of mine that joined TikTok and five weeks later announced, hey, I'm leaving. This is not a oh. for me, Right. So it, it was one of those things where like he joined and then it was that easy to leave because that trust battery or something w- w- was, wasn't there. Uh, so that's, that's a good well, point. I mean, so. the thing in remote world is that like the, the joke is that you, all you're doing is like closing your laptop and opening a different laptop, right? When you switch jobs. And so it can, it can feel like that if there's no, you know, high trust, personal connection, connection to the mission, working with smart people, like alignment with the problems that you're going to be working on. Like if those things don't come with it. You're just like, this is my nine to five. Mm. It's pretty easy to be like recruited away or like just close your laptop and be like, I'm sending that back and I'm going to go work somewhere else because there's no, there's, there's no connection through the screen versus like, having to commute and going to an office. Right. And then you talk about this and what startups should look for in hiring the VP of engineering. Like you had a blog post. Mm-hmm. So would you revamp that to add this point that a VP of engineering needs to, I would imagine not many VPs are thinking about this onboarding experience from like the user-centered design UX perspective, right? Something that's kind of unique to classic Pivotal, I would say, or classic Extreme Labs. Like yeah. how, how do you approach that and why do you care about that so much? Yeah, I don't know if I would change the post. I mean, there's so many things like in any, you know, article or whatever that are not going to make the cut. Like there's there's so many things going on, but I do believe that, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a step back. When I was at Extreme Labs, one of the interesting things was that not only did I have like engineering, like the R&D functions, engineering, design, QA, like uh, product and UX under me, but I also had like HR, finance, recruiting. It's weird for a VP engineering to have those functions. And a lot of people ask me about it. They're like, why, you know, why would you want to focus on these areas, right? This is kind of the support areas of the business. And it's because I really do believe that and I did have this part in my in that article that it's all about the total employee experience. So if you're loving your engineering part of your job, but then like expense reporting and vacation tracking and all that stuff like sucks, right? Like all the way down to like the snacks and food in the office. It sounds funny, but it really does wear down on people because that's part of their employee experience, right? It's not like that you're getting your vacation tracking from someone else. You're getting it from Shopify. And then you're getting your engineering development environment from Shopify and your laptop from Shopify and your 
snacks from Shopify, like all that stuff was coming from one place in their, in the employee's mind. And so if they weren't all really, really good, then you're probably like, you're probably in some background process in your mind is saying, well, you know, how do I build great products when like the products I'm being delivered are not that great Hmm. from the employer. And so I think that kind of each, that's why I really enjoyed having all those functions because it allowed me to set like one high bar standard for how we have to treat like the, the service, right. That we're giving to our employees. And so I think that's why it's really important. And I don't think people should tolerate like bad systems on that, on that side. And that's why in that article I wrote, like VP engineering should be willing to fight for better systems outside of engineering. Right. And you know, one example, actually I did this at, 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 at Pivotal was we had a Google calendar that we used for vacation tracking. And there was obviously, so we used, so Google calendar is pretty easy to use, right? You can just put it in and say, you know, vacation. So I just set up like one calendar called vacation calendar. Everybody has access to it and you just put in, you're taking a day off right now. Of course, there's some other big system that somebody has to true up because there's payroll implications and how much vacation does somebody take? And there's, it actually has implications. So instead of having people use that gigantic system, which is where it has to end up, right? I talked to the team and I said, Hey, how often do you have, does this have to true up? And they're like, Oh, maybe like once a quarter. I'm like, cool. So I would just, I just, you know, hired somebody and said, Hey, you're going to go through the Google calendar and every quarter you're going to take all the days off and you're just going to put it into this like green screen system that we didn't, nobody liked using. And that was good. It worked. Right. So I removed the burden from the employee. They just put in Google calendar, the people who needed the payroll systems and everything trued up at least once a quarter had a solution because it was trued up once a quarter. They knew not to check it any more than that. And everybody was happy. Now there's a little bit of cost, but it probably saved cost because the employees didn't have to learn that system. And also it probably saved admin burden, you know, processing time from those people to be like, oh my God, I got to go do this thing. And I got to correct the vacation. It's, it's so complicated versus like just Google Calendar was so easy. So that's what we did. Yeah. Super interesting. I'm, I'm curious, you know, kind of a little bit on the topic of, you know, you used to work at the company that we work for and you were a leader there. Uh, and now you're a leader at a, uh, which oh, so I should say, you know, which is, you know, it used to be Pivotal Labs, now it's Tanzu Labs. And even before that, for you, it was Extreme Labs, labs yep. all the way down. And you know, those were all consulting companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, and th- this can have a remote or a pandemic angle if you want, but it also doesn't have to. But I'm curious how your thinking changed and, and what parts stayed the same when you became a leader at a product company versus a, a consulting company versus there's the obvious things, I guess, perhaps, well, you don't have billing consultants, but aside from that, I'm, I'm curious what things sort of translated over and, and what things were kind of a mind flip for you. Yeah. Like I'm a huge fan of like the, the labs models, you know, hence why, you know, I did extreme labs for many years and then pivotal labs. And what's amazing about those environments is you get exposed to so many different clients. It was pretty clear whenever we went to a conference or was on a panel and that we knew orders of magnitude more than most people on the panel because they were, they were like very, very focused on their vertical, right? So they're like, Hey, here, how do things work in our company? And I was like, well, here's what we've seen across like dozens and dozens of companies. And so that was always useful, useful framing. And I think the, the biggest, you know, you talk about mind flip for me in coming to Shopify was this idea of being too efficient. So the cool thing about like, Extreme Labs and Pivotal Labs was that when we knew the target, there wasn't anybody who could be faster than us because we had pair programming, we had TDD, we had CI, we had 
this notion of high fidelity conversations. We work from nine to six. There's all these things that allowed us to be like extremely, extremely efficient. And in a product company, what I've noticed, especially at Shopify, is that we're very attuned to making sure we don't land on a local maxima. And so that means sometimes like more wandering and more discovery and more like less like less hands on keyboard, like in a weird way. And we wanted to make sure that we were like revectoring more than would like typically be allowed if we had like a like a very diff- definite end time to launch something. And so it has its pluses and minuses. Sometimes you wander around and realize like there's nothing there. <laughs> And then right, other right. times you wander around and be like, and you discover gold and you're like, oh my God, if we didn't do these like very strange, long, you know, processing of these ideas, we would never would have landed in this like amazing, you know, amazing place. And so that's been like definitely different for me because I'm used to like really being focused on efficiency and productivity. And I think I read a quote says something like productivity, like not equals creativity or, or they're opposing forces. And I don't think they're like either is true. I think you can be quite efficient in engineering and still allow time to wander and explore. I just don't think it's like a pendulum on either side. Like Pivotal was really, and Extreme was very, very good at the like, hey, we know what we have to build and or, and, we, and of course we revector all the time, but it was more narrowly focused on purpose to like get something out by a date, whether it was a startup or a larger enterprise. And Shopify is more around, is more interested in, trying to solve a merchant problem with a much, much wider scope than what a typical labs engagement would look like. So that's definitely been different for me. And especially like when somebody who's trying to push efficiency and you're like, actually, let's like be less efficient on purpose. That's super interesting. And, you know, going back to something you said a moment ago, you know, you've, you've had a major leadership role in, in both worlds. And you described when you were in the, the consulting world, you got to see you know, you felt like you were you and your team were like a level ahead of almost everybody that you worked with, and I don't mean that in a way to demean anybody that we ever worked with. Sorry, past clients didn't mean that, but you know what I mean. But you know, you just you 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 had the benefit of having all that exposure, and so you know that that's a risk because you used to work with clients who were mm-hmm. just worked on one product. So I'm curious, what do you do because you have this awareness to to mitigate that that risk? That, that you saw uh, people fall into when you were working in the consulting world? Yeah, well, I think part, part of it was an evolution of the process, right? So like when I was at, when we started Extreme Labs, I don't think Pivotal Labs had like product managers. I think it was all engineers. That's probably and right. We had, yeah, we, we, added a pro- we added some product managers for some of the stuff we were working on to help the, our clients through the process. And then Pivotal Labs added, not because of us, but I think Pivotal Labs also added product managers around the same time. And then we added a practice called discovery. They added a practice called discovery, which is the idea that, hey, you're working with a client. They want to work with you, but they don't know what to work on. So I think the evolution of the process was trying to do exactly that, Joe, which is like, how do we not be narrowly focused, but be more broadly focused? However, because the engagements are not, they don't last over years and years, I think the trade-offs you make in that type of environment are just different. So in the example, like the, the best thing about Pivotal and Extreme was that we'd work with clients and then they would take it over. Right? right, they would take over the work, and the trade-offs they have to now make to have this thing last for years and years are different than the trade-offs that we had to make to maybe get them to that first year. Right, the zero to one is quite different than the one to five, for example. And what's interesting about Shopify is we have projects at all different various stages of that. We have a you know fourteen-year-old product, right, where there are interesting trade-offs that 
continue to be the right ones to make. And then there are ones that we want to change. Then there's new products that we're introducing. There's engineers who build on top of our platform. There are new bets we want to make, like everything from like hack days where we spend three days building something to, you know, making a big bet, like we said about Shopify Fulfillment Network, where we said we're going to spend a billion dollars on this initiative. So there's all kinds of stages and games you want to play there. And I think knowing which mode you're in is the important thing and not sticking to one particular model. Like we're, we're unopinionated in many areas on purpose to allow that freedom. And then we're opinionated in other areas. Like, so one example is, I don't know how it works at Pivotal Labs. I'm assuming you still use Pivotal Tracker, for example. On a lot of projects we do. Yeah. And on some, on we, we don't. That's something oh, that sometimes is, you don't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sometimes cool. yeah, we don't. So that's, yeah, so that's a good example, right? Like, I, didn't, I wouldn't think of taking the product management tool as like a narrowing function, but seemingly, you know, some products don't want to use that and they use something else. And so that's a good example. We have, we have lightweight systems at Shopify to help us track how things are going and track how we want to move forward. And at the same time, we don't, we are not deliberate on like the product management. Some, some teams at Shopify use Pivotal Tracker also, right? Some teams use something else. And I think that allowing that flexibility, even at the tooling layer, allows, allows some creativity in getting to the end goal. Nice. So I, I wanted to piggyback on something about local maximas and absolute maximas in the research process. Sure. So a lot, of, a lot of my clients, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the Pivotal Labs, formerly Pivotal Labs, now Tanzu Labs sales team, right? I, I work with many clients and one of the big challenges they have is determining how to allocate investments, how to allocate dollars, how to get buy-in from the board, buy-in from financing committee. So can you talk about the nuts and bolts of how you allow a team to wander and have an undefined timeline for that wandering? Because that's a yeah. big challenge that my clients ask about. Yeah. And so I think that there's different models. So one is like era three or four times a year, we run hack days, which is this idea that, Hey, just do whatever you want. No, there's no fixed agenda. You can just kind of, you know, we do like to see something shipped at the end, but not everybody has something shipped. But the idea is that, Hey, hack on something um, that you've always wanted to work on. And so that happens a few times a year. Some of those things graduate out of hack days until, Hey, we should continue this and turn into something. So I think that's interesting. We have project phases. So, so, and I think this is, again, this is a good example of the pendulum. So we used to have a project, we used to have project phases called Think and Explore, which were these ideas and didn't have any de defined time frame where you could literally like think about a problem. They tended to be lots of exploration, talking to customers. Explore was like exploring like a solution space. These were, you know, quite open-ended. And we moved recently to this model around proposal and prototype. Because the idea was that while we loved the exploration and the wandering, and it did lead to some good things, we wanted to move to a model where we could time box and test more quickly. The other thing we found was think and explore doesn't necessarily allow like the, the good projects in think and explore would still explore via writing code in some way, because you would want to make sure you're not missing the context and what it would look like for that through line from product UX and engineering to like land in like something that was tangible. And so we, we changed the proposal and prototype because that the words actually allowed that exploration to happen in a more defined way. So proposal is this idea that it's still a think phase, but it has a yes, no at the end. Because the problem with the think was like, you could think and then like, maybe it's always background processing or, or you're always part of a think project where, where our proposal had this idea that, yes, we should do something about this or no, not right now. So that had a defined end, end goal. I don't think today we still, we have like a timeline for that, but I think it's designed to be relatively short. And then prototype really means what it is, which is let's prototype something. 
And that could be UX prototype, product prototype, or like data engineering, but really building a through line spike so that you can understand what's actually happening in a way that allows you to understand whether you want to continue then building. The other thing that we, we say in prototype explicitly is throw away the code. Right. Build it, throw away the code. Now, now you can start building. And there's, it was really important for us to say that because a lot of people then, like, it's hard as an engineer. It's hard to throw away code. But, yeah, the um, number of prototypes really shows, that are in production today. Oh, yeah. There's ton, it's, it's all over the place. There's lots of prototypes in production. And the goal here was, like, throw it out so that you can now focus on actually making sure that you're building something for the longer term. Nice. Thank you. That's a, that's a very detailed question or answer. I feel like we can do another podcast just on this. So <laughs> sure. I, 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 won't, I won't dig into it too much, but this is uh, really helpful. Joe, do you want the last question? Ooh, the last question. Gosh, the pressure's on. Do you have a last question? Or yeah, something like, you feel I, like I mean, we I'm, didn't touch on enough? I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually interested in one of the questions you asked me, which was how do you allow for exploration? I know that when I was at, and, I, and this is a long time ago now, right? I left Pivotal Labs in 2015. So it's been six years. And that there was a discovery practice, which was focused on helping clients like really explore, but then figure out the solution space you want to spend time on. How has that evolved into helping clients figure out what to work on? Yeah, it has. It has evolved. The the a lot of the words are are similar, and I have to, of course, now I have to walk back to two thousand you know fifteen and remind myself what has changed. It might have changed more than I realized, but it's become normalized for me. I think that uh, if there's an evolution that happened, it was. That we probably the we've talked about the pendulum a couple of times. The pendulum might have swung too far in one direction for a while, which was the always go back to first principles and say, "Hey, let's discover and frame what we should be building with users." And you know, something that's common is you know, clients will come to us and say, "We want to rebuild." This thing, it's on an old technology. It's 10, 15, 20 years old or something like that. We know we're falling behind. We want to rebuild this portion, X portion of it in the hot new stuff so that we can come up to speed on the times and teach our people how to do that and, and all that kind of stuff. And what we would sometimes do is say, hey, that's awesome, but let's go back to first principles and decide if you even want to redo that thing. And, and often the clients would say, that's a great idea. And sometimes they would say, no, we don't want to do that. We want to rebuild the thing because like, we, we already know it's good. It's established. We just need to revamp it. And sometimes those projects, we would go back to first principles and we would uh, collectively discover something really, really exciting and really neat. And we decided to take a totally different angle on that thing. And the customers, wow, this is really great. And sometimes we would discover collectively that what they needed was that first thing that they that they said. They're like, yeah, we're a banking platform. And Banking hasn't changed, you know, this part of the banking industry perhaps hasn't changed as much as we thought maybe it had. So I think we've we've brought the pendulum back more towards the middle and are, are more more practical or pragmatic about saying, you know, do we really are we really going to innovate deeply on how money is transferred between X and Y or something like that in, in a banking application versus another thing that might be you know, like a mobile application or something like that. You know, those are, you know, or the, or the way that people are engaging in that part of the, the the business or something like that. There's places where that is where it's, I don't want to say the word obvious because it's not obvious and you can always learn something, but there you can hedge, I think a little bit more in some areas and saying, you know, we, they don't want to innovate in a certain particular area, but yes, in other areas. So save that deep, deep discovery and framing 
wandering portion for those areas where they're looking to really innovate and you know maybe not investing as much in the ones that seem tried and true but just need a revamp so i think that's that's maybe where we've 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 settled now and it's always you know the pendulum has never stopped it's you know it may not swing all the way one direction but it's still wavering somewhere back and forth in the middle and and uh, you're always trying to like hit that sweet spot yeah i think that's a good analogy i was just going to say that the pendulum is it is always moving and it's good that you've discovered some of these things because then you go this way and then you'll discover something else and go back. And I think that's that's the nature of any organization. Like right. change is the only constant. And and so much of that is around the doing the work up front to make sure that you're really aligned with the, the people that you're working with. And I think that that's true for a consulting organization or product organization. You know, it's you you know, every group runs the risk of having the further away down the chain, so to speak, or the the closer you get to actually delivering, uh, say the delivery team. You know, the more layers there are from a, a hierarchy point of view, or just a, a it might be a, 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 a flat hierarchy, but a big divide from a personality point of view or communication style point of view, you can get out of alignment. And, and t- it turns out that people at one level really want one thing and at another level, they interpret that differently. And so, you know, having those clean communication channels is, and, and, you know, un, Unblocked communication channels are, are also so important, and so that's one of the things that, like, as uh, you know, the the extreme you know, extreme labs, pivotal labs. Before we worked so much with startups in the early early days, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, it was really a flat structure, and then you know, fast forward to you know, 2021, we're working almost exclusively with you know, not all, but almost exclusively with all large enterprises that have more complicated you know, communication structures and political structures and such. And so finding that thread through those so that you make sure that you're all, you're aligned also helps you figure out, Hey, are we wandering in the wander and discover phase here? Or is this more of a, you know, be tactical and execute. Yeah. Super. No, it's super interesting. And I think it's exciting to learn how to navigate those orgs because they're all, they're all completely different and they all have their, they're all in some version of this pendulum. Right. And I think that's that's part of the, the nut to crack. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that, that was great. This is a, a very refreshing conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. I I, I could ask so many more questions, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we I could talk forever. Hour. We were at the top of the hour, and this is really awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I, I learned a ton as well. Like, obviously, it's been six years since I've uh, interacted with this group, and so it's amazing to see it evolve.